Good morning. Great to see you all this morning. Good morning to those of you who are joining us online. Thank you so much for joining us. Let us know that you are here, that you're worshiping with us. We just would love to be able to say hello to you and, and see your faces, so to speak. Uh, this morning, is um, our call to worship will be from Psalm chapter 23. This is one of my favorites, and um, I have to say that it goes along well with our sermon topic, um, so just be thinking about that. Keep that in your mind. Um, but whenever I read this psalm to a group of people or to a person, I love to just prepare the person that's about to receive. And so this morning, I just want to invite you to receive these words. Take a deep breath and just breathe in the goodness of God that we read through these words this morning. It's such a beautiful psalm. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that are just so peaceful and such a, a sweet reminder that with you nearby, we can find true rest. We can just sit and receive and soak up your goodness that you so freely and abundantly offer. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of a, of a hectic and crazy world that we can still find moments to be still and just receive what you are, are anxiously ready to give to us. Lord, we, we confess that we don't pause often enough. We run ourselves into the ground. We, we keep going without ever pausing or stopping for long. So God, on this Sabbath day, on this day that was intended for us to be a day of rest where we can just pause, it doesn't all rely on us. The world is still going to keep spinning and the world will, will continue to move on and your work will continue to be completed. We can pause and simply rest and soak up your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace. So Lord, help us to be able to sit with that this morning. Help us to just receive all that you have for us. And Lord, we are, are excited to worship your holy name this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you just remain in an attitude of worship, can we just sit in that quiet and that stillness for a moment? Lord, we quiet ourselves before you so that we can hear you speak to us. Lord, may we, as difficult as it might be, may we just rest in this space of stillness and quiet so that we can hear you speak to us.
Lord, may we just receive that comfort and strength that we, many of us, come into this space each week needing more of. Oftentimes we come into this space and we are depleted. Our tanks are empty. Our, our cups are empty. We have, many of us, if not all of us, have been pouring ourselves out in one way or another throughout the week. And so, Lord, may we just simply sit in your goodness so that you can fill us. So that when we leave this space, we'll be ready to go back out where you've called us to go to empty of ourselves. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, for the reminder of your great love when you sent your son for us. And, and Lord, we just rejoice and we sing songs like, this is amazing grace. And I am always encouraged and just still as I remember and, and ponder that, that you did give your life so that I could be free, so that my life could be full and I can find abundant love and life in you. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that even in the midst of, of this world that is full of brokenness and pain, that, that we can find life, true abundant life. Lord, if there are those who don't know that abundant life, may you open up their hearts to receive it. Lord, we long to see all experience that full abundant life that you offer us. I personally long to hear all confess that there is none but you. Lord, may you take up every open space in our heart, in our lives. Lord, we love you this morning. God, we, we remember those who aren't able to be here today for different reasons. Some are dealing with, with sickness, some with injury. Lord, some are, are just in quarantine because their family is sick. And so we just remember all of those that are not able to be here today. Lord, we pray that, that they would still hear from you, that you would speak to them, meet them in their spaces, wherever they are this morning. Fill their hearts. Help them to know that they participated in community today, even if it looked different. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your rest and your peace this morning. And all God's people said together, amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. We're going to jump right into our text this morning. So I will just ask that you remain standing as we read. You can follow along on the screen. This morning we are in Mark chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and there they drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a peculiar text. Uh, When you begin to really read it and and unpack it and just sit with it for a moment, it can feel a little uncomfortable. Can we just confess that, that this text is somewhat uncomfortable for us? Uh, I want to point out kind of quickly, we're just going to dive right into the the meat of the text before moving on to the application, but, but I can't help but point out that, that so many scholars that I read from this week, um, many if not all of them, connect this story that we just read in, in Mark chapter 5 to the previous story at the end of Mark chapter 4. See, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms this storm. The disciples and Jesus are in a boat, and there comes a great storm. The wind and the waves are overwhelming, and the disciples are terrified. They're terrified, and they look over at Jesus, who is just at complete peace, and they call out to him. They cry out to him to save them from this storm, and and Jesus calms the storm. The storm obeys. The winds obey. And the waves obey. And and the disciples ask a very striking question. They say, who is this? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, shortly after we read this text that we just read today, these demons know who this man is. They know who is this, that that the wind and the waves obey him. The demons quickly say, what do you want, Jesus, son of the most high God? There's a question, and we quickly discover that the demons are aware of who this is. It's Jesus, son of the most high God. 
I'm going to do something a little bit different. And I, and I, again, I want us to just kind of lean into what is an uncomfortable text. I want us to sit with it for a minute because this picture, that this text that we just read, the picture is very bleak, isn't it? It's dark. This is a dark text. I don't like scary movies. I don't even like to watch a commercial on the TV that, that is advertising a scary movie. I like mute it and shut my eyes because I just don't. It's hard for me to sit with stuff like this. This is dark and bleak, but I think that we ought to just sit and really imagine for a moment what is happening in this text. Take a moment to empathize with the demon-possessed man that Mark is describing in this text. Pause and recognize that there is a man, a man who is being tormented by demons, by not just one or two, but many. He's cut off from community. Did you pick up on that? He's excluded. He's detained. He lives in the tombs. This man lives among the dead. This is a living, breathing person, and he is confined to the tombs. He's, he's, there's an attempt to keep him strapped down, and he can't even be detained. Instead, he's, he's tormented, wasting away from the inside out. Nothing can bind him, and he lives his life every single day, day in and day out. Crying out, tormented, alone, separated, cut off from life, where there's death, decay. It's not hard for us to understand why he cries out in agony and pain. And if it is hard for us to understand, then we ought to read it again. He cuts himself with stones, probably just trying to escape the incredible, unfathomable pain. Mark makes note of, of something later that implies that this man just lives naked and vulnerable and exposed. This is a bleak picture. It's not pleasant. I don't enjoy describing it in great detail to you this morning. That doesn't come naturally for me. But I think we ought to sit with that for a moment because I think there is something so beautiful about the idea. Scholars aren't certain of this, but I think that there is something so beautiful about the idea that, that here's Jesus crossing this lake. He's, he's crossing this lake, calming the wind and the waves and storms, all perhaps to reach this man. Scholars connect the previous text to this one, and I love to think because it's not out of Jesus' character to cross an angry lake, to, to cross an angry storm, just to be with this man who is living in death and decay. Perhaps he came to the other side, as Mark notes, to restore this man. I certainly don't think that's out of Jesus' character. And so the story goes on. We'll just kind of quickly recap what we just read. In verse 9, Mark, Mark describes this, this legion of demons that live in this man. Legion meaning there are many. 
There are many that live and torment this man day in and day out. They say, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? And and Jesus addresses them. And in verse 10, something powerful happens. Something powerful happens in verse 10 when we recognize that these demons are in complete submission to Jesus. This man might be at this moment held captive and in submission to these demons, but ultimately these demons are quickly realizing that they are in submission to Jesus, Son of the Most High God. The winds obey him. The waves obey him. Demons obey him. And so we're anticipating what happens next. They, they, we, we read about how they plead with Jesus, and that's, that's um, a little bit hard for me to understand. I confess there's a lot of questions with this text, maybe more questions than answers. But I don't really understand the pleading with Jesus because it seems like they ought to know what ultimately is going to happen. But nevertheless, they are pleading with Jesus. And Luke also shares this story in his account. And, and he kind of leads to this uh, um, assumption that they just don't want to be sent into ultimate destruction. But they're demons, right? I don't get it. But they don't want to be sent into ultimate destruction. So they plead with Jesus. Oh, look, there's pigs. Send us into the herd of pigs. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is in a Gentile area. And so it's not crazy that there are a herd of pigs nearby. They are in Gentile territory. Jesus has crossed boundaries once again. And so he sends them into the herd of pigs, and despite their pleading not to be sent into the abyss or ultimate destruction, that's what ends up happening as these pigs kind of drive themselves off this this hillside into the lake. And so those nearby see and hear what has happened, and there becomes... Uh, there comes a great commotion. And we can understand this, right? As people who are just kind of, we tend to be drawn to um, moments of commotion or if there's something big happening, we're, t- we're kind of drawn to go and look and see what that is. We're spectators. And so before long, people are coming out to see what is happening. And then we might be a little bit surprised to see that they're, they're sitting in the midst of all of this craziness is this perfectly sane man who is now dressed. He's just sitting there perfectly at peace and still and in his right mind. And I'm so, it's so striking to me that when they see him, notice how there is no rejoicing. I just find that so interesting. And if that does happen, there's no record of that. We don't read anything that allows us to, to believe that people see this man and they say, oh, oh my goodness, look, he's, he is living in his right mind. He's saying he's healed. He's better. Oh, we're so happy for him. But instead they see him and they are afraid. I bet they were terrified. And I get it. I do get that. There are so many questions they have, their minds, they, they can't even fathom what has happened. They don't even know how to process what has just happened. And so they respond how we tend to respond when we don't understand something, and that is in fear. We respond in fear. And so that's what they did. But it's missing. It's missing for me that there is no rejoicing and celebrating that this man who was once living in the tombs, tormented, living among death and decay, and now he's back in a community of people and he's not even really given a proper welcome. Ah, 
That's hard for me to reconcile. And so they respond in fear, and they ask Jesus to leave. They, they plead with Jesus to just go. They don't understand this. I don't suppose they want to understand. They're afraid. Perhaps some of them were thinking, well, what's he going to do to me? What, what is it that he's going to try to do with me if he just did this, and we don't understand what he did and how he did it, and so it would just be better if you could just go. We're a little uncomfortable by what's happening right now. I was even fascinated by, by one scholar noting that perhaps they were frustrated with Jesus because these thousands of pigs were just killed, and so that probably is going to make the price of pork skyrocket. <laughs> And so there are probably some who are more concerned about their economy than they are about this man who was just miraculously healed by Jesus. Perhaps the price of pork is more valuable than a human life. I don't know. We're not really sure. We just know that he faces opposition, and it's not the first time, and it won't be the last time. So this is what we're grappling with today. And so we read this text, we sit in kind of the, the uncomfortable uh, nature of this text, and we might ask ourselves, how do I connect to this story? Because it's hard. How do I connect? What does this story have to offer? Because I'm not really seeing it right off the bat. I've never been demon-possessed. I've never known anyone to be demon-possessed. And so how do I connect with this story Here's what I kind of drew from this text this week. I may not have, have known of a personal account of someone being demon-possessed, but I do know that we fight, with, we fight a spiritual battle on some level. I mean, this man was fighting an intense, intense spiritual battle. This was the very uh, a picture of what Paul talks about, that our battle is not against flesh and bones, but against the evil, against the principalities of the spiritual realm. This was the most intense version of that. But that's not unfamiliar to us, is it? We, we fight spiritual battles. We find ourselves in the midst of some kind of spiritual warfare, even if we don't understand spiritual warfare, even though for some of us it's just a little hard. We don't really understand what all that means. But we do feel that tension, that battle within us, don't we? We do. We're fooling ourselves if we say, no, no, I don't fight those battles. We do. We fight those battles on different levels. You don't have to have too many conversations with people to understand that they're fighting an intense battle, whether it's in their family, whether it's just in their hearts, whether it's in their mind, whether it's relational or spiritual or physical, whether they're dealing with a, a severe case of mental illness or whether it's just mental health issues or anxiety or depression we see people who face and fight these battles, and we ourselves face and fight these battles, and we, we may not talk about it very often. We, I think we kind of sometimes feel like, well, we don't know how to have these conversations. I don't know how much to share. I don't know what's going to make people feel uncomfortable. And so a lot of times we just keep it inside of ourselves. But I kept thinking about John 10.10 10 this week. That's, the, that's one verse that kept coming to mind. I, I was reminded this week that as much as we might not like to, to address it and acknowledge it, that there is a very real enemy at hand. 
Jesus himself said that the enemy comes for one reason, for one purpose, and one purpose only, and that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he'll do that however he can. For some, he tears apart their families. For some, he he causes relational issues. He kills marriages. He kills relationships. He kills community. For some, he just works on them from the inside out, and there's this battle raging within, in the heart, in the mind. He, he'll destroy families. He'll, he'll destroy countries and nations and communities. He's not picky. He'll, he will steal your joy. He'll steal your time commitment. He'll steal your, your willingness and desire to serve the Lord with your time, and he'll find ways to take that from you. He'll steal your mind. He's not picky. As long as we are suffering in some way and, and feeling disconnected from Jesus and community in some way, He's satisfied with that, but let us make no mistake. He comes to steal and kill and destroy, and we find ourselves in this tension, in this struggle. One scholar, A. Elwood Sanner, kind of sums all, up, all, all of that up that I'm trying to say, and he says, the nature of sin and the purpose of Satan is to deface, corrupt, and destroy the image of God in man. That's what we see in this text. And that's what we see in our lives. That's sometimes, if we're getting really honest, we'll say, that's what I see when I look at in the mirror at myself. We see it all around. You see, we ourselves, in one way or another, at one time or another, we find ourselves in the tombs. We find ourselves at our weakest feeling alone, feeling like there's no one around. We feel separated from community, from the community of God. We, we face these demons, whatever that looks like for us. We fight these battles. We cry out, but no one responds. And as this all plays out at some time or another in our lives, I can't help but wonder if sometimes we tend to respond kind of like the community responded in this case, and we just try to maintain or contain or detain. We, we might feel like we're in this space where it's like, well, as long as I'm not a danger to anyone, as long as I'm not an inconvenience to anyone, I'm just over here in my space not bothering anybody then it'll be okay, even if I'm dying on the inside. As long as I'm not bothering anyone or hurting anyone, we're containing, we're just maintaining, we're just detaining. That's what we see in this story. We understand why society is doing all they can to contain him. I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, I think that we do this without even realizing it. Both we, the people that aren't going through an immense spiritual battle, and those who are going through an immense spiritual battle. We somehow find ourselves just cut off from community, suffering silently and alone. And it may not be this intense as we read in this story. But, but for some of us, I think we might confess. Some of you might confess, but on the inside it feels this intense. Some might say, no, that's, that's kind of what I feel like I'm struggling with on the inside. And here's the thing. The enemy wants you to stay in that space. The enemy wants you to stay in the tomb, so to speak. The enemy wants you, be- wants you to believe that you can't get help. 
The enemy wants there to be a stigma surrounding whatever it is that you're going through, and he wants you to think, I can't talk to anyone about this. They're going to think horrible things about me. They're not going to understand. The enemy wants you to think that you're stuck. He wants you to think that this is just how it's going to be, that you'll just have to live this way forever. He wants you to believe that there's something wrong with you and that others will look at you and think, there's just something wrong with you. I can't help you. The enemy wants you to believe that you're just going to be stuck in this place, never healed, never relieved, but stuck. We find ourselves stuck in what feels like these graves, these pits, these tombs. But I want to remind us this morning that there is a Savior who is fighting the wind and the waves to get to you. He sees you stuck in this tomb, and he is making his way toward you. He is coming to find you. He's on a mission to save you, to heal you, to deliver you, to relieve you. Because as he says in John 10.10, you didn't think I was going to leave the best part out, did you? As he says in John 10.10, yes, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, I, Jesus, I come, I come, I cross the sea for you, I fight the wind and the waves for you, I come to give you life, to give you full life, to give you abundant life. I come to give you life to the full. Jesus longs to find us, restore us, and make us whole. He doesn't want to just leave us the way we are. The invitation today is to wholeness. The invitation today is to be restored, to receive healing. The primary, the primary meaning of this story is the restoration of this man. This man who was not necessarily seen by his community but was just pushed to the side. We get it. We're not criticizing them. We, we get it. But that's what was happening. Jesus comes and finds him because he is important to Jesus. Jesus came for this man. He has the power to cleanse, heal, restore, and make whole. And he crosses the sea for you. No one is too far out of where he is willing to go. Jesus comes to set us free from every power that keeps us from living a full and restored life. I want you to hear that this morning. Because my fear is that sometimes we even, even as Christians, my fear is that we accept that he saves our souls we accept that that, that means a, a future promise of glory, of eternity with Jesus, of, of living in heaven with him. We accept that, but, but oftentimes my fear is that we don't embrace that he wants to bring us holy, wholeness and healing here and now. I don't think he's necessarily just saying, oh, just wait, just hold on a little bit longer. He's saying, no, I invite you to wholeness to, to a life that is abundant and full now. You don't have to wait for eternity. Will it be a different kind of wholeness and healing in eternity? Absolutely. Our minds cannot fathom what that will be like. But he is offering us wholeness and healing here and now. 
And so my question for you today is, what's keeping you from that wholeness? What is keeping you from receiving that wholeness today? That's kind of one question that I have. The second question I have for maybe a different listener is what keeps you from celebrating wholeness today? What keeps you from recognizing that there is perhaps someone in your midst that is in need of that healing and wholeness from Christ and yet you're separated from that person and you won't have the ability to celebrate that wholeness and that healing that they receive? Let me tell you kind of what I mean by that. This week, I was thinking a lot about, I mean, just this story, I feel like it just brings to mind the different mental health issues that people have, right? And it also brings to mind just the stigma that surrounds mental health issues. It brings to mind that, that there are people in my generation, I'm a millennial, there are people in my generation, many people in my generation that struggle with mental health issues. And there are advocates, and I'm thankful for that, but there's still this stigma that exists around mental health because I, I think, and, and I am not an expert, and there's a lot that I don't know and understand, but just from listening, I think I understand that there are some people who feel like different generations, people that are older and haven't had those struggles, not that they don't exist, but they don't always understand, right? And so there's this gap. There's, there's this generation that just feels kind of frustrated, I think, because we just don't understand. Why can't you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it together? Come on, you can do it. And I, and I think that I, I sit in the midst of millennials and then I'm, I'm looking at the next generation coming up and I just have to tell you, buckle up because it's not getting any better. I was reading from Fuller Institute this week Fuller Youth Institute, and this is a fantastic resource if you want to learn more about kind of this mental health crisis that we find ourselves in the midst of. And they talk about how, you know, there's a whole conversation on millennials and mental health, but then they talk about Generation Z. And Gen Z, they say, is experiencing greater levels of, of stress, particularly pandemic stress, which we're all, we've all experienced. But they say that for Gen Z, this pandemic stress and its consequences are, are coming and piling on just this mounting, mounting, um, just this pressure of, of everything else that's gone on. It's just piling on. The, there was already kind of this, this heightened worry about suicide and this, this civil unrest. And so then here comes COVID and it just, it just exploded. And these younger generations, they just, they, they are struggling to know how to handle it. And we look at reports of the most common depression symptoms, and we think, we read about depression, and I read this week that nearly three out of every four young people are experiencing some form of depression, some form of, of mental battles. And my fear is that for many in the church, there's, this, there's just this separation between those who get it, who are experiencing it, who know people that are, and then those who just don't. And my fear is that those who are suffering, those who are, are falling victim to this, to this mental health crisis that we are in the midst of, that they feel like they're alone. 
and they feel like they don't have community. They feel like they're just living in the tomb, so to speak, while everyone else is just trying to kind of keep them at bay. Just do the best you can. And so my, my, what I want to challenge you with today, I want to challenge you that the invitation is to wholeness for all of us. For those who feel like you need to receive that wholeness and that healing today, and then for those of us who need to find a way to reach those who need us. And, and I think what this looks like at its simplest is just empathy, listening, knowing that you may not understand it, you may not get it, you may not relate to it, but you can listen and you can offer your love and your prayers and you can just sit, you can be present and so wherever you find yourself this morning, I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to just pray about that and sit with that for a moment and ask yourself, ask the Lord to show you what it is. Do you just need to receive that invitation to be made whole because he crosses the sea for you? He comes to you to make you whole right here, right now. And then for those of us some of us just need to be able to be willing to step up and step in and say, I'll sit with you. I will sit with you and fight with you together. Amen. Stand and sing with us this morning. This morning, can I just challenge you to respond to the sacred invitation of wholeness? Can I just say that if you find yourself, if you find yourself being someone that does struggle, I mean, we all struggle, but with this particular battle of depression, anxiety, whatever that looks like for you, can I just say that, that I am a safe space for you? And I think that, that there's a lot of people that just need someone from the Christian community to say, I'll be that safe space for you. I'll be that for you if you need that. And then I, I just want to challenge us to, to step out and, and offer that to someone else, to say that we will be that safe space for you. And together we will continue journeying. We will journey together as a broken people who are all in desperate need of wholeness and healing. None of us are excluded from that. We all need that. But we'll journey together, hand in hand, arm in arm, not pushing you to the side, but walking alongside you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I pray this morning for just the, the heaviness that is this message and this, this topic, Lord, of, of, of mental health and, and mental struggles that, that not all of us understand. Lord, I, I just pray that we, the church, the faith community, that we would truly journey together through the, the good days, the days of rejoicing, but also the hard days alongside those who are facing hard battles that we may not see or understand, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. Lord, would you just help us 
Give us the eyes to see. Lord, give us empathy. Help us, Lord, to be a safe space for the people in the world and in our community, in our, in our lives who just need a safe space. Help us to be Jesus to those people that are struggling, Lord, both inside the faith community and outside. Lord, help us to just listen. We don't have to have all the wisdom, all the words, but we can certainly be a loving, Christ-like presence in the midst of someone who is struggling and feels like they are just wasting away living in the tombs. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way that you fight to reach us, for the way that you cross the wind and the waves just to get to us, to offer us healing and restoration. We don't have to wait to receive that. We can experience the goodness of God and the healing restoration of Jesus here and now. We thank you, Lord, for the, the many times that you have fought for us and how you continue to make us whole. So, Lord, we just ask that you would help us as we walk out of this space and continue to think about and pray about what this looks like. Just teach us, Lord. Just teach us. Speak to us. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.